Capital Insider is sponsored by the Oklahoma State Medical Association, physician members who are committed to better health for all Oklahomans. Learn more at okmed.org. This is Capital Insider, taking you inside politics, policy, and government in Oklahoma. I'm Dick Pryor with Quorum Call publisher Sean Ashley, and our guest is the Speaker of the Oklahoma House of Representatives, Charles McCall, Republican from Atoka. Welcome, Mr. Speaker. Well, thank you, Mr. Pryor. Great to be with you today. Speaker McCall, you are the author of House Bill 1935, which creates the Oklahoma Parental Choice Tax Credit Act. This would provide an annual tax credit of $5,000 per student for private school expenses and $2,500 per student for homeschool expenses. Now, you and your caucus have opposed proposals for educational savings accounts or vouchers. How did you arrive at the idea for income tax credits instead? Thank you for the question. And yes, our not just myself, but many in the Republican caucus do oppose the ESA and, and the voucher approach because it takes money away from public education funding. Um, those mechanisms draw money out uh, directly of the education appropriation that the legislature sets aside for a common education in the state. Um, and our constitution calls for uh, the legislature to provide for an education. Uh, that's always been problematic with an ESA or voucher for House Republicans. And, and we've been very open and honest about that. And no bill uh, with that mechanism in it will garner support for the House. Uh, we ultimately arrived at the tax credit approach. Um, also, one of the criticisms of ESAs and vouchers is uh, there is no accountability around those. You know, it's it's basically an account loaded up with money from the state, and you can go, you know, spend that on education um, as you see fit. You know, we we ran into uh, an issue with some some monies that the, the governor appropriated, some CARES monies to to a gear fund, where they loaded that into a digital wallet, and then when there was an audit on the back end, you you found out that. Uh, parents were able to buy gaming consoles and cell phones and and things that really just don't uh, aren't academic related uh, with those funds. The tax credit approach requires every person that wants to claim the credit they have to prove up those qualified expenses before they can truly receive the credit. So it's the tax credit is not the state. Uh, passing out checks or money to people just because they they might ask for it. Uh, there's accountability and oversight on those. They'll have to prove up those expenses, submit those uh, to the tax commission, you know, for review before the, the tax credit is granted or, or recognized. Opponents to this measure have argued the credits will be claimed by parents who are already sending their children to private schools. We've heard that. Do you think your bill will lead to more students going to private schools or being schooled at home? Well, I think, I, mean, I do believe that um, it is every parent's right to choose the education path for their child. Um, I got to choose that for my children. I, I chose to send mine to public school. I'm happy with that decision. I think they received a, a, a strong education. Both of my children are in college or post-college, um, they were able to perform well at the college level with their public education. But we understand, you know, that there are there are kids that um, can 
you know, potentially thrive more in, in an environment that, you know, better suits them. I mean, every kid's unique and parents understand, you know, this, the child better than anybody else. Um, of, of course, I think there are going to be people who take advantage of the tax credit that are already paying tuition for private school or homeschooling or education by other means as our, as our constitution refers to it and, and is the appropriate term. But once again, they have to prove those things up. I mean, they have to be qualified educational expenses. Uh, we could argue that, you know, somebody who is currently sending their child to private school and does not get the tax credit, they're really facing double taxation because they are paying money to the state that is appropriated to public education that they're not getting any utilization out of. And so at the end of the day, I think we have to realize taxpayers are taxpayers. Um, and uh, we have to ultimately uh, respect and, and affirm the, the, the decision of the parent where they feel like the, the child is, is best suited to, to learn. Ultimately, when a, a child finishes its, its common education in the state, we need them ready to be a productive workforce member, uh, ready to make a, a contribution. We want businesses and industry that are looking at Oklahoma that currently are not here to say, we've got, you know, Oklahoma produces bright students and they recognize multiple education paths. So these are, uh, you know, I think this is in the vein of um, making sure that every student in the state wins, every uh, school district in the state wins, every teacher in the state wins, every parent in the state wins. So I think it's a very smart and thoughtful approach uh, by the legislature, even though we're talking about just the tax credit segment uh, of the bill. I mean, the bill provides a historic level of funding for public education as well. It also requires that the legislature continue to fund public education at that historical level going forward, or that tax credit gets suspended. So, I mean, there's a lot of provisions and protections in this bill to ensure that all forms of education in Oklahoma are, are supported uh, going forward. The expected impact on state revenue collections from this tax credit is around $300 million. That's money the state will not have uh, to fund state government, including education. Can the state afford to do that on an annual basis? Sean, I think so. And uh, once again, there's our... <laughs> I, I, I could also make the argument that we're going to we're going to do something with that 300 million this year. We could have cut taxes and and, lo and lowered the amount of revenue that potentially comes in. And of course, I'm a proponent of when you do lower taxes, you basically just leave more money in people's pocket to spend. And you, you can look at the savings rates of people in our state. They're pretty low. Uh, so you know that they're going to spend it and it's going to bounce around and uh, with that multiplier effect and spur our economy on to become larger and more diverse. Uh, but yes, I, I think we can afford it. Um, but there's once again, there's there's provisions in the bill that if we cannot um, or if there is an economic downturn in the future and, and then the economy will cycle, the legislature will have to find a way to maintain a high level of funding for public education in order for these tax credits to not be suspended. Uh, and those things happen automatically in this piece of legislation. Uh, the, the legislature doesn't have to come in and take a vote to 
suspend the tax credit if our revenues fall short of hitting this new funding level of you know $3.7 billion for public education. And, and I might add that $3.7 billion in public education funding is a 52% increase in the overall amount of money that we are investing in education over the last six years. Uh, and we want to continue to fund and invest in education. We believe that is the means by which everybody in the state has socioeconomic uh, upward mobility. And, and through education, we can put our children in a, help them put themselves in a position to enjoy a higher level of prosperity. And, and so it's, uh, once again, there's always the questions about, will it cost us money? Uh, yeah, I mean, everything we do up here has a, has a fiscal impact. And, uh, but it's definitely one that, you know, when we have banked nearly $4 billion in savings right now in, in, in reserves, and everything is still performing above estimate, um, this is the time to, to move a piece of legislation like this. Speaker McCall, you've mentioned the safeguards that could be triggered for suspending the tax credits in the event of a state revenue failure or if the legislature reduces money for common ed. But what if neither of those conditions occur and common education needs a higher appropriation and lawmakers don't have the necessary funds at some future time? I've, I've been here for six legislatures now. Mm. Uh, this is my last term. And, and every legislature that I have served in the House, regardless of the, the leadership, uh, education, public education and education as a whole have always been the top priority for uh, the body. And, and I think the Senate as well. Um, I think you have to realize that if revenues don't grow at the same rate that they have in, in recent years, or if there's a downturn, I think the reality is the legislature will use its reserves first to stabilize education because that, that's the priority. Um, I think education is the last group that gets cut if revenues fall. But uh, hopefully, you know, uh, these investments are important long term. There is a long term strategy here as well as a, as a short term one to to better our educational outcomes and, and produce a, a, a student that has lots of options when they come out of school in terms of employment. Earlier, you mentioned the companion bill, House Bill 2775 which appropriates $500 million to common education, including a $2,500 across the board teacher pay raise. Yes. Is that all the additional money common education can expect to receive during this legislative session? Well, I think there's other discussions we can have. Uh, those are the provisions of this particular piece of legislation. Um, I do believe the legislation does not need to be modified in the Senate and sent back to the House. We'll continue to have conversations with the Senate. Uh, they have some good ideas uh, that we're open to as, as well. And uh, we will, you know, we will entertain some trailer legislation uh, to this bill uh, where we can find agreement. Uh, Senator Pugh had some good ideas uh, when he had held his press conference for his committee in, in terms of things that he wanted to see addressed in the state. Uh, he's a very sharp uh, individual and uh, very thoughtful as well. And, you know, we're, we've, we've got several weeks left of session. I, I think we'll continue to have those, those discussions about 
uh, and there's there's a high probability that there's some additional things done in education in addition to this 500 million on the teacher pay raise component i think it's also worth mentioning in the house plan the 2500 uh, is the minimum uh, the school districts can use the, the money to pay over that and we hope that they will for teacher pay raises but there have been several school districts over the interim that have asked for flexibility to make support staff pay adjustments and they, they need that money so the teacher pay raise at 2500 is just a minimum with our plan um, it can certainly be higher but if if a particular school district needs the money for support staff curriculum stem labs uh, more desk space for the open transfer that um, went into effect about a year ago. And, and we've seen 30, roughly 36,000 students in the state um, utilize open transfer to move from one public school district to, a, to another, um, where those schools have additional capacity to accept those students. All of those things were, were contemplated and, and thought through in this bill and in, in the bill's language. You have frequently expressed concern for rural schools, and you've said that your caucus prefers policies that benefit all parts of the state, urban and rural. Taken together, how do these two bills affect education in rural areas? How do they help rural public schools? That's a great question, Mr. Pryor, and, I'm, and I appreciate you asking it because I like the opportunity to explain how you you find support um, and how you work through policy in the legislature. Um, our caucus, the the majority caucus, um, we have eighty one members, huge caucus, and those members span. We have a lot of rural members in the Republican caucus, but we have a significant number of suburban and some urban Republicans. And so when you, you talk through a policy, you've, you've got to think about how that policy affects those three areas geographically, especially with education policy. And in the House, we've always said, you know, good policy should work everywhere in the state. So what we, we contemplated, I mean, the, the reality with this tax credit is it's going to be utilized more heavily in the urban suburban areas of the state. It really doesn't have you know, a tremendous amount of uh, utilization currently in, in the rural parts of the state, but you've got, you, you have to be considerate of, of those rural members and our rural citizens. And so what can you do in a piece of legislation that helps, you know, support the education choices in rural Oklahoma? For rural Oklahoma, the predominant education choices are your public schools. And your choice is to be able to move from public school to public school if it's not a good fit for your child. Um, so this, this bill contemplates, you know, the funding side for public education that was contemplated that we would need to find a way to push, to marginally push out some additional dollars to rural public schools in the state while also supporting every public school and finding a compromise within our caucus. Uh, there, that's, that's why you saw a vote the other day uh, for 75 votes um, in the House, all Republican votes for the tax credit and 78 for the, the public education funding piece is because, you know, we work together to find a compromise and where every kid and every school district in, in the state, regardless of rural, urban or suburban, you know, uh, would enjoy some type of educational win out of this uh, education policy. 
you mentioned the bill has passed the House. It's now in the hands of the Senate. What do you think they're going to do with it? Well, I <laughs> I don't think they're looking at House bills for another couple of weeks. We're certainly not looking at Senate bills for a couple of more weeks until we we complete the uh, House of Origin uh, process. Uh, we are, you know, I'm talking to the Senate leader. I I spoke with the Senate leader before we even dropped the language and and moved it. I've I've spoken with the governor of the state. You know, I once again I think the um, there's a lot to to like about the bill in terms from a, from a senator's point of view, uh, the House is certainly open to the Senate's uh, additions to what they think need to be uh, we we need to be focused on in terms of um, education as a whole. And uh, I, I think the bill will move forward, and um, I think there'll be some additional education measures that that pass and and ultimately become part of the budget and and become a, a part of, uh, of state law or, or policy. So the Senate's got to do their thing and they'll, you know, they'll process it in their due time. Speaker of the House, Charles McCall, as always, thank you for being our guest on Capital Insider. My pleasure, Mr. Pryor. Pleasure to be with you. We hope to talk to you again later in the session. I'd love that. Thank you. Thank you. If you have questions, email them to news at kgou.org or contact us on Twitter at KGOU News and at Quorum Call Sean. That's Capital Insider. Until next time, with Sean Ashley, I'm Dick Pryor. This is Chip Brantley, co-host of the NPR podcast, White Lies. Before we found the man in Vancouver, before we sued the State Department, before we snuck into the graveyard of a federal penitentiary, all we had were the photographs. Photographs of a group of Cuban men standing on the roof of a prison in rural Alabama. That's this season on the NPR podcast, White Lies.